Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When COVID hit, we saw a huge shift in terms of companies being very interested in three main things. Food, Mm. because it was a trip to go to the grocery store and it felt uncomfortable for a lot of companies. It felt a lot of uncomfortable for a lot of employees. So food, Um, family care, because it's been increasingly crazy for working parents. I'm visiting some right now in Atlanta to Mm -hmm. straddle between being providers, being caretakers, and being um, teachers Mm -hmm. even, and work from home essentials. How do you make sure that you're not necessarily working all day in a bed and that you have the, the desks, the monitors, the things you need in order to be comfortable and productive while you're doing your job? Right, Look Up listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein, and as always, starting this episode with a huge thank you for listening, for supporting the show, for subscribing to the newsletter, uh, for asking questions, reaching out with guest recommendations. It's been such a fun journey with you all over the last year now. We're coming across almost 50 episodes at this point, and so hoping to do a special one uh, at that time might bring back an old friend to come on the show. Uh, This episode, I had the opportunity and privilege to sit down with my friend and founder of June, Jonathan Shushani. Uh, John is also my June, uh, which you'll learn more about what that word means in this episode. But with John, I had the opportunity to chat about the future of work, wellness, and corporate employee responsibility in a post-COVID world, because June is on a mission to maximize the physical, mental, and financial health of the ever-changing workforce. They have customized wellness programs uh, for the modern world and are working with corporations on that. We had a great conversation. I also learned more about his family's experience immigrating to the United States from Iran during the Iranian Revolution. Uh, We discussed our yoga journeys, how we got into the practice, uh, what defines wellness today and this kind of all-encompassing term. We also talked about why many yoga teacher trainings have a cult-like feeling and why many people are seeking gurus um, to guide them in this life. And then we close with our shared love of nature, nature walks, tree hugging, and how nature itself is a form of wellness. So keep this keeping this intro brief for you all today. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode, and as always, feel free to reach out with any comments or questions. Thanks. Speak soon. So, John, thanks for coming on the Look Up podcast. It's good to see you from all the way across the country, world. (laughs) forgetting where I am right now. Um, But yeah, it's been a while, brother. It's good to see you. Likewise. Likewise. Excited to chat. Love what you're doing. Thank you. 
Speaking of uh, brother, you know, I was thinking it might be a good place to start kind of um, a little bit describing where you found the name June. Sure, sure. So June is actually a Farsi word. It means energy, life, essence, and is used as a form of endearment, Mm. like Mark June. Or, you know, you might even use it in form of... uh, Bon, bon appetit, like uh, Nusha June, may your soul be nourished. And the name actually came from a story um, where my co-founder, Sebastian, he was going to GW and was in a cab and the cab driver was Persian, looks back at him, asks him what his last name is. And, you know, he says he's a little hesitant because interesting things were happening between politics and the world and he pauses for a second and then he's like you know what i'm gonna try my luck and he says his last name elganian elganian and the cab driver pulls over and at this point my co-founder sebastian is scared and the cab driver looks back at him with tears in his eyes and a smile on his face Hmm. and reaches into his jacket pocket or his wallet, pulls out a punch card. And that punch card was from over 30 years ago. And Sebastian's super confused. And he literally in Farsi says to Sebastian, your family gave me the June, the energy, the life to survive. And Sebastian confused and then starts to ask him questions and he goes on to tell multiple stories of how Sebastian's family, they were big industrialists in Iran, they employed thousands of people, the types of things that they did to take care of him and to take care of his family during his employment Mm. in Iran. Uh, One of the things was On the back of the punch card, there was a number. That number corresponded with the number of people in this man's family. Every day when he was punching out or clocking out, he would hand this punch card in and they would serve him a warm meal to feed everyone in his family. Many of their employees didn't have refrigerators and they actually manufactured refrigerators. So they started to gift refrigerators to their employees. Eventually, they started to build housing. If an employee had a family member that was sick, they would actually fly them to Paris, to where you are, France or to Israel to actually give them better medical care or healthcare. So Mm -hmm. this idea of taking care of your people and that creating that bond, that loyalty years later, over time, you know, is timeless and something that me and our team are really trying to replicate in today's crazy world. Such a beautiful story. Um, one, one trend that I keep popping into on this show, and I want to like go with the thread because I have such a diverse group of guests that come on here from all sorts of backgrounds. And we'll have time for June as well, and we'll talk about kind of the current situation. But you know, I'd love to like just hear a little bit about your family background um, because you are, you know, you are Iranian. And, um, you know, I, I just think the experience of folks from all over the world who've come through America is what makes our country so 
so beautiful. And, you know, I had my friend Masha on recently and she immigrated to the U.S. from Russia. And I had Amir Youssef on who um, came to America from Tunisia. She's actually from Tatooine in Tunisia, which is where they filmed the town that they based Tatooine and Star Wars off of. And, you know, both of them have done incredible things, financing startups, building, you know, building a company to solve the student debt crisis. And so I just think it's like one thing I'm exploring as I continue to evolve this show is like, is learning more about the cultural background of, of my guests. So I'm curious kind of, you know, what's, what's the story with your family and, and when did they come to the U S and under what conditions and um, how long have you, have you, I mean, you've been here, I think since birth, like me, but I, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. I think my dad came here. That's a great question and an interesting thread to explore because I think so much of what we build or create is influenced um, either tangibly or intangibly by the people and the experiences and how we've been brought up. Um, I think my dad came here when he was 17. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my mom came here when she was 11 or 12 years old. And like many Persian Jews um, during the revolution, you know, or before the revolution, uh, they, they fleed the country because of religious persecution. Mm. And overnight, almost um, many people left everything. Um, they, they literally came with a suitcase and were forced to start over. And I think that, you know, coming here with nothing and building a life anew is something that I think has affected the next generation because we feel responsible to give back to our parents and our families and the people that have sacrificed so much so we can be free and able to really do what we, we please to do where they didn't necessarily have those same sort of luxuries. Um, when, when my mom moved here, for example, I think it was like three or four families that were living in a two bedroom apartment wow. together. Um, my grandpa, luckily on my dad's side had come to the U S um, a little bit before the revolution. And he's told us this story of, you know, being in the street, really anxious, really stressed, and not knowing what he's going to do when he gets here because he really wanted to come kind of scope it out and see whether his son or his kids could go to university in the States and they could live a future life here. And he ran into a friend in the street. His friend hmm. looks at him and says, why are you so stressed? What's going on? And he says, because I'm going to the U.S. tomorrow and I have no idea what I'm going to do, where I'm going to stay. And he says, no worries. You know, my two brothers are actually already in the U.S. They own a rug shop and go pick <laughs> you up from the airport. Yes. And he's like, okay, thank you so much. He, you know, he gets to L.A. These two men uh, pick him up from the rug store. They're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to go look for a house just in case, you know, things the political situation changes in Iran and I want to sort of have this backup plan for us. Wow. 
and they go on sort of like this little like real estate tour and the first house they go to i forgot which comedian but there's a comedian living there he goes into the backyard there's two women topless in the pool and he says <laughs> that's it i made my decision i want this I'm house to america. <laughs> i'm moving to america and he's like no. We can go to other areas. There's, you know, let's have some optionality. Let's have some different um, choices. And he's like, no, I've seen what I need to see. And, you know, he, he flew back to Iran. And in that, you know, thinking about like what some of the stuff you're doing around blockchain and Bitcoin. And that, in that time, there was no money, digital money transfer. Trans yeah, you probably just you, had to yeah. pick up some cash and, and try to get it and across the border. It. Yeah. He just sent it to these men who he trusted. And I think part of that story is just like the bond he felt to these men who came from a similar background and had made the leap and had started life over again. And that was, you know, making that purchase and doing that for his family made, made the move a little bit easier when they were, they literally left all their things and fleed. Um, in order to start over again. So I know that that was a little bit of a wow. tangent, but no, but that's why I ask because I think it's so fascinating and particularly with the political backdrop in the U S right now. And, you know, the, the bias against immigration into the U S and also I, I, you know, more and more friends kind of building their own contingency plans because it feels like this upcoming election for many, whether you're on the far right or the far left, it feels existential to you. You know, like like uh, our democratic institutions are truly threatened, and so hearing how that how that can happen in another place, you know, it's our country is not um, impervious to these sorts of you know political meltdowns, and I think for the first time with COVID and everything that's happening, you know, Black Lives Matter, and we're seeing this right, like a lot is coming to light in 2020, and here we are, September 3rd, 2020, and. You know, just you can feel the shifts globally that are happening. And so it's just, it's a wild story to hear someone have to pick up their life and leave. And yet, you know, to start over again and build an incredible family and obviously like has a beautiful grandson who's on this episode right now chatting with me. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to just, I wanted to go there. I'm glad that we did. And I guess on the thread of, you know, COVID, like you you started June right before COVID hit. So what has that experience been like as an entrepreneur building a business um, just as, you know, this global pandemic hit? Sure. Sure. So I think what's important to give a little bit of background on is why we set out to build June and how it aligns with my pers personal ethos or mission. Of course. Um, I've always been obsessed with how to create products, services, technology that create greater access and affordability to health and well-being um, with the understanding or the, the idea that health and wellness and health and well-being is not one size fits all. It encompasses things like physical health, mental and emotional health, financial health, even your relationships, your relationship to technology, which I know you're passionate about and interested oh, yeah. in. And everyone is at a different point in their life journey and needs something a little bit unique 
and a little bit different. And with June, uh, we've built a flexible and and individualized employee benefits platform that automates health and well-being reimbursements. Mm -hmm. And that essentially puts employees in the driver's seat to choose wellness and lifestyle products that are meaningful to them and that they need in a given moment for their life journey. And before COVID, we were very focused on physical and mental and emotional health. Everything from mindfulness programs to fitness and gym memberships to wearables and fitness trackers to at-home workout equipment and that sort of that being the definition of wellness for companies and for companies employees when covid hit we saw a huge shift in terms of companies being very interested in three main things food because it was a trip to go to the grocery store and it felt uncomfortable for a lot of companies. It felt a lot of comfort, uncomfortable for a lot of employees. So food, um, family care, because it's in, been increasingly crazy for working parents. I'm visiting some right now in Atlanta to mm-hmm. straddle between being providers, being caretakers and being um, teachers mm-hmm. even. And work from home essentials. How do you make sure that you're not necessarily working all day in a bed and that you have the the desks, the monitors, the things you need in order to be comfortable and productive while you're doing your job? Mm. So those things have been really interesting in terms of the shift of what we built and different new unique ways that employers were requesting to use our product. And our product's the same. automates certain the, the reimbursement of certain purchases that employees are buying that they need. But there has been a greater emphasis in terms of highlighting certain categories or ways that employees can use their benefit in order to get what they need. It's so cool. It's it's interesting like you're on the front lines of that shift from you know in office to remote. And I guess just curious kind of what is you know, what else do you see is changing in terms of employee well-being in moving to this, this remote work world? A lot of people, those who can, um, who yeah. have that capacity. Yeah, everything is changing right now. And work is changing. I, I think a lot of people were talking about the future of work um, a couple months ago. And the future of work is now. It's happening mm-hmm. uh, with with more employees than ever before working from home and companies are struggling. They're struggling to take care of their people. They can no longer rely on the physical space. That was the water cooler discussions, the coffee in order to create culture. So the idea of how to create remote friendly culture, that's a, that's something that keeps us up and something that we get to the opportunity, the privilege to, think about and discuss a lot with a wide range of companies. And one of the trends we saw early on were that companies were very reliant on things like Skype, Zoom, Hangouts in order to not just do work meetings, but to also bring the team together. How do we recreate 
and do these virtual gatherings or happy hours? How do we promote health and wellness and fitness by doing digital fitness classes or virtual yoga classes and meditations, which I know you're familiar with as well. And as a trend, people were really excited about that at the beginning. They're like, you know, we're not seeing people like this is exciting, but people now have months in, you know, I think we're five, six months in employees have zoom fatigue. They, they have screen fatigue. Mm. They no longer want to spend time on their computer. If they're spending time on their computer for work all day, when they have a couple hours or a window at night or in the morning to really do what they need to feel well, they don't want to spend more time connecting like this per se. Sometimes they do. So two things are sticking out to me. One, technology can be built in a way that connects people more like this. And I've, we've seen tools like Donut, which is like a Slack integration that yeah, randomly I gonna, connects Yeah, I was literally people. read my mind. I was going to ask yeah. you about Donut. It's a cool one. Yes. Yeah, it's cool. And we've seen things like that take off. And I think there's going to be an opportunity to build more things like that. And so and for, the, two, for the listeners, yeah. for the listeners, just Donut is this, it's an integrated app into Slack, which is the communication tool that many companies use for for their teams to coordinate efforts on different projects. But Donut randomizes a meeting time for you and another coworker or manager or whoever so that it can kind of replicate that, you know, that coffee, that walk to go get a coffee that happens. And there there's some magic that happens in those kind of random meetings. So Donut's trying to recreate that in the virtual world. Yeah, and I see a lot more innovation being done on that aspect, right? Connectivity. I have some other friends that are working on products in that world. The second thing I think we're seeing a huge trend towards, and I've probably heard it a thousand times in the last few days, is the word flexibility. And that pertains to how do you treat your hours and how do you, how do you treat your employees and how do you incorporate flexibility into work? So if an employee is a, parent, a working parent, they're going to need to work on a little bit different of a schedule um, than your average employee. And companies are looking to accommodate that sort of thing right now more than ever. Um, also flexibility in terms of understanding that different employees need different things. And that's where we've be, we've been uh, able to see that we can help um, provide that for companies when one employee needs food and groceries, whereas another employee is looking to manage their weight, and another employee is looking for some support with childcare or tutoring for their kid that's staying home um, all day. Um, overall, something that's exciting for me, and I think it's something that's probably exciting for you, is I think work is becoming a little bit more human. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, basically, I guess, you know, I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more. But I think with flexibility in particular, probably makes it more human, like we're humans designed to go spend time in one place for, you know, eight hours a day with, with a small break. Um, that's, that's a question mark. Like, I think humans kind of historically, you know, we like to flow, we, you know, we were are, are biologically hunter gatherers, right? And so we move nomadically. And at one thing that's certainly been missing from the workplace is like walking even, right? And I feel like people, I, I don't know, there's like COVID kind of divided 
people, at least early on. And I like how you bifurcated that. And you said early on, it was this and now it's that. Because early on, I think you had the people that were like ever more productive because they were at home all the time, both on like their work life and their fitness life. And almost like they got into this hyper productivity mode where they were exercising more, you know, they were cooking for themselves, blah, blah, blah. And then there were others that were just like, ah, F it. And just like watch Netflix and chilled and needed to just get out and take a break. Um, but I think, you know, I've always had this intuition that if you give if you give employees a little bit of leeway, if you, if you give kind of a long enough, um, I hate to use this, this image. I wish I had a better metaphor, but like a long enough leash, um, then people appreciate that, you know, and, and they're going to work harder. I don't think people, most people are motivated by, you know, having someone breathing down their neck. So if remote work offers just that little element of freedom to them, a little extra, flexibility in the hours that they're working or in how they work. So long as they're getting things done, you know, um, that'd be great. But how are, how are these companies managing kind of, as you mentioned, Zoom fatigue, but also just this, you know, round the clock, email, text, Slack, like it's just, it's nonstop. I think the answer for that is a little bit TBD. Honestly, um, I'd like to have a clear cut answer for that because it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I try to think about a lot is how do you help people align their intentions with their behavior? Um, what are the barriers to living a happier, healthier life? Is it time? Is it money? Is it priority? Mm. And thinking about what as an employer, as a company, can I do to take care of some of those things and make life a tad bit easier, especially during these times and help um, avoid employee burnout and create a little bit more of a structure for work-life balance. We're really focused on the, the issue of cost, right? Because even for me personally, I discovered yoga through corporate wellness. Um, I was struggling with my health. I was having a lot of knee issues from running. And my internship at the time, a company called uh, Palm Wonderful or Wonderful Pistachios, offered yoga during lunch. And I was always hesitant to invest in yoga because of the big price tag. Um, but mm. I started to go because it was free and it completely transformed my health and my, and my knee. And I didn't end up having to do physical therapy or anything else that uh, many doctors told me I needed to do for my, my, the issues I was having. Um, and for me, that was the gateway to more movement or really more body awareness, more fitness. And I eventually went off to become a yoga teacher myself, do a yoga teacher training, and then ended up teaching in a similar environment at a tech startup I was working for years later. But even then, I realized, although we had our tribe of like eight to 10 people that were coming every Wednesday night to practice yoga together, for a lot of people, yoga was still not wellness. Yoga, they didn't feel comfortable maybe doing yoga in front of their coworkers or mm. they were more into running. So I think it comes back to this idea of cost being something that holds people back and, and really asking what else holds people back from making changes, positive behavior changes in their lives. 
And then the question of people just having different needs. Like we're all in the same situation right now in terms of the pandemic to a certain extent, but people's unique and diverse needs have become even more buried. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, one, I definitely want to learn more about your yoga journey. Um, But I think, you know, preventative, preventative wellness um, is or preventative healthcare in the form of wellness is something that I think that insurance companies are picking up on. Um, I mean, are, are insurance companies participating in, um, in supporting kind of these health and wellness programs that are a little bit maybe more Eastern in nature, you know, including yoga and, and meditation? Totally. That's something that gets us really excited and was a big reason in terms of us creating greater access and affordability to health and well-being. The reason we built the product, the what and the how of what we've what we built was in an effort to work with both employers and also with insurance companies. Um, so we discovered this uh, gym reimbursement product or platform, and you could do some quick Google searches to see what those look like, you know, and, and, and what those look like today. And many of the programs are still stuck in the 1980s. You have to print out a form. You have to get it signed by your gym. You have to <laughs> mail it in and then, or fax it in and then they'll mail you a check in order to reward you for doing certain things that are good for your health. What we discovered was that that could be brought into the modern age with the more modern um, understanding of what health and well-being is, that it encompasses mental and emotional health, physical health, and then other socioeconomic type or demographic factors that can be a hindrance to your health, whether it's transportation, whether it's family care. And something that's been really exciting is that companies and health insurance are have woken up to that and are now more than ever giving kickbacks to employers of dollars that they can specifically allocate towards health and well-being. Uh, programs. And I think something that I'd also be interested in hearing your thoughts on, as there's this like abundance of preventative health and wellness direct-to-consumer brands with a limited amount of digital real estate in order to reach their target consumer, and then the target consumer is facing this, this crowded space of all these different wellness brands and is confused about even where to start their wellness journey. Yeah. There's this interesting opportunity for insurance companies and employers to start subsidizing preventative health and wellness and actually recommending brands and products um, that are vetted and that can help someone with their path. I don't know if that's a little... No, I think I, I no, it's not. I mean, there's no, there's no topic um, that we have to stick to, but it's not off topic at all. I mean, I think it'd be cool to see insurance companies supporting kind of these practices that clearly improve, you know, improve your health over time. I mean, the evidence is stacking up um, that meditation and yoga and breath work or mindfulness 
um, can be really helpful in terms of longevity, in terms of anxiety reduction, depression. And we're spending so much time on screens. So these these two topics actually come together really nicely. One where you're you're now bridging kind of the employee benefit programs in this new remote work world where we as employees are inundated with with screen time and then also bridging employee benefit programs to kind of more holistic health practices versus some of what they used to do. And, you know, part of that comes down to dealing with overwhelm. We as humans don't love too much choice. You know, we, we think we want choice, but oftentimes we break down when there's more than two or three choices um, to choose from. So, you know, being able to kind of have a curator of these programs are vetted and uh, sponsored essentially by my company, I think is really, is really helpful. Well said, <laughs> said it better than I did. No, not <laughs> at all, brother. Um, I wanted to ask like, what, what has been your yoga journey, your yoga experience? Cause I feel like that's what we first connected on when we were hanging was on more of like the mystical, mythical, you know, metaverse, uh, <laughs> multiverse, um, you know, whatever simulation we're living in. Yeah. Well, I think all these topics are really relevant and a li- even a little bit more context than that. Um, we met at a Jewish, uh, J- Jewish tech event that was all about morality, uh, in technology or morality and technology. And I think we also jammed on the fact that we're both trying to create certain um, checks and balances and rules in order to have a healthier relationship um, to technology. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's all, it's all connected. Um, like I said, when I, after finding uh, yoga through corporate wellness, I sort of just dove in head first as I went um, back, to, back to school for my senior year. And that really was the impetus in many ways for that and food was the impetus to living a healthier life. And also to be like, if the health and wellness journey is hard for me as a person who's been given so much, how can I make that easier for other people? And the first way I answered that was jumping in headfirst into the food industry and trying to create more access and affordability to healthier food options and more awareness around where food comes from. And then the next part of that was the yoga journey, which for me was really done to deepen my own practice. And after deepening my own practice and better understanding alignment, because I didn't want to get injured again from doing something that was actually healing my body. I'd love to know what, what is your practice? You know, where, where did you start? You said you were working at the pistachio company, um, and they offered yoga at lunch and you loved it. And then you ended up doing a teacher training. So like what, you know, what, what were you studying? What, you know, where did you do your teacher training? Um, would love to kind of focus more on, on, you know, that aspect of your journey. Definitely. So I came back to school, started to practice at the 
local yoga studio in Santa Barbara. Um, had some amazing teachers. It was a small community. So they really gave me that one-on-one support. Mm-hmm. I came back to LA, started to work in tech and I decided that start and started to uh, practice at yoga works and really enjoyed it because it was a nice combination of some of the slower, deeper, you know, Hatha type yoga, mm-hmm. as well as some of the higher energy vinyasa flow really became obsessed like would go every day and Hmm. it's something i honestly miss right now because i haven't been as uh, diligent with my yoga practice and eventually you know i had a couple awesome teachers that i was taking classes with and i was like i want to deepen my practice i want to learn the proper alignment for a warrior two i want to learn the proper alignment for for these different poses in order to be able to have them and have them in the back of my head and really be able to access them whenever I want and for the rest of my life and to eventually be able to share them with my family, with the people I love, because I felt so strongly that that sort of body awareness and knowing how to move in a way that was nourishing and in a way that was rejuvenating would allow me to live and be, you know, nimble and, and do what I want to live, what do what I want to do in my body forever, um, Mm. or for much, much more sustainably. And that was the, you know, that's how I got into deciding to do my 200 hour. It was funny because my parents were just so upset, not upset, but they were just like, you're going to spend a couple thousand dollars. on this yoga teacher training and I was like yeah it's going to it's going to make me feel better and make hopefully make you feel better and your grandchildren feel better for a very long time and it was interesting also because I was the only man out of you know 25 or 30 women who oh, was wow. investing in this sort of practice so that was also a really interesting experience where I was surrounded by women and there was a lot of vulnerability and a lot of sharing and I think I got to learn a lot um, through that and also like the mental and emotional piece of yoga or well-being. Yeah, that resonates with me so much. I mean, I think, um, one, you know, men are in Western yoga, um, men are definitely the minority still, and particularly kind of straight men. Um, it's harder to, uh, (laughs) I like that you, you reacted with a, a Skype part. You know, it's, it's, there's a stigma around yoga still in the West that it's, that it's a feminine, which is ironic because most of the masters in India, you know, are, are men. And so, um, but that, that element of what I think a yoga teacher training offers, that ability to really drop in deep with a group aligned and you're working really hard, you know, for me, my yoga teacher training, it was like, it was 20 hours a weekend for 10 weekends. And so you're, you know, you're in this studio for four, eight and eight hours, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, um, you grow a kinship and a bond with people. And one thing I've been thinking about actually, because the studio that where I did my teacher training is called yoga to the people. And they've recently come under fire. Actually, the studio shut down because so many women came out um, and, and some men as well, I believe, and, and talked about how they felt they had an experience of like there was a cultishness there. And I can totally see, I can totally see that. And um, 
you know, but for me, it was, it was nothing but a positive experience. I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't notice what the cultishness of it. It was only after when I started teaching that I felt there was a, there was certainly a bias towards wanting people to teach that would hang around the studio all the time, Mm. you know, and kind of be there. But at, at the same time, I feel like there's always this kind of like susceptibility for, for yoga communities or spiritual seekers to fall prey to this kind of groupthink cult-like activity, especially when with yoga, a lot of people are going because they're searching, they're seeking, mm. they're, um, you know, they really are looking for truth. And, you know, you land at a place and there's going to be people that are going to tell you what that truth is, although truth may be unique to each and every one of us. And then you add on really challenging physical and mental and emotional exercises like, you know, one, one hour arm lifts or something like that. And there's this vibe of, you know, this vibe of kind of people breaking and you see it in, in the Bikram documentary and you see it with wild, wild country and Osho. And so it is fascinating to me that on the edge of yoga in the West, there's also this, you know, this susceptibility towards groupthink and and um, and deferring responsibility over yourself to the guru or the master. Mm. Yeah, I I'm very interested in that stuff. You know, being curious about psychology and how people make decisions and people search for meaning and purpose and why those types of situations happen with people in groups and it might be a little bit of a tangent, but I also find that, you know, interesting in terms of uh, entrepreneurs and that similar type of, you know, leadership or guruship that you see in something like wild, wild country or in something like um, the Bikram documentary I think is something similar you might see in fire festival, right. Or in with Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and that sort of like leadership and confidence that you might find in some of these individuals that is somewhat sociopathic, but is something that people are drawn towards. People are drawn towards people that feel that or seem like they are perfect. Like they have no fear. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done a lot of thinking on that um, particular question because, you know, the most charismatic leaders um, often make the best entrepreneurs, but one of the kind of hallmark signs of a con artist is their charisma. And, you know, we as individuals are left to discern between the two And oftentimes the line is blurred simply by whether or not they pull off the con. And so like the example might be Elon Musk. You know, a lot of people look to Elon Musk and say, well, you know, he's some people, many, many people believe he's a visionary, you know, who's changing the world. And he's working on, he's working on incredible technology in the field of atoms when everybody was looking at bits and sending people to space and he's having success with that. And Tesla is so important with the gigafactories and all this. Um, but there was there were times when, just based on his sheer will and determination and bravado, when his companies were financially failing, that he was able to fake it until he made it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs 
try to fake it until they make it and they don't ever make it. And that's like the difference between the con artist and, and the, um, and the kind of master entrepreneur that people tend to follow. The other thing I think about is like, I feel like people love to defer responsibility over themselves to someone else. Mm. So we like to objectify the, the charismatic leader. And we start off by kind of, wow, you know, just being impressed by them and projecting onto them this, uh, this persona that maybe they don't have because at the end of the day, they're humans, right? At the end of the day, we're all just humans. And so we're all flawed. And I think once people start being fed that power over others, it's corrupting. So perhaps someone like Osho, um, you know, started off on the right track, but as he started to gain more and more power and through his pr- elevated pranic energy and ability to attract others, he, he went astray and, and got power mad. And I think that that's definitely something that all entrepreneurs and, and leaders should look out for is that kind of like the sneakiness of the ego and the way that it could come back to, um, to bite you. Yeah, I'm recently um, listening to an author by the name of Matt Ridley, who wrote a book called The Rational Optimist, and I think recently wrote a book about how innovation works. Really interesting stuff, but one of the things he focuses on is the, the individual the individual inventor and entrepreneur and creator versus the teams that were really um, behind them. And sometimes um, how, how innovation is actually dependent or contingent on different groups or teams of people that never really spoke or connected to one another. Um, yeah. So that's another sort of interesting area to to look at is like i'm sure you're looking a lot at like blockchain technology and some of the fundamentals or core uh, principles that are now being utilized by other entrepreneurs in order to innovate and in order to move certain sectors forward yeah i mean i guess one thing i wanted to ask you because you're building a company right now and you mentioned that your yoga practice is not kind of what it once was and i know that you know, doing this podcast and newsletter and working and stuff, my yoga practice has fallen off, but it's always something to think about. Like, how are you taking care of your, your own health and wellness now as you're, you know, as you're kind of building and trying to, trying to create something special? Great question. So two, two main things, which might not be a direct answer to your question, but speaking of teams and individuals and co-founders and leadership, um, Something that I love that we do internally in terms of building that culture is we do something called weekly dose of G. And every (laughs) Friday night after the week is done, we all send a mess. And our team's small right now. You know, we're a couple individuals on the business team, but we send each other a message thanking them for the week and identifying Mm. the way that that person, each individual stood up and contributed to the bigger vision and the bigger picture of what we're doing. And that really helps, um, that really helps this, this, this arm, a lot of maybe the tension or things that we're building in terms of maybe this person isn't doing enough, or this person did this wrong. It's like identifying each person's superpower and how they stood up. And I think 
motivation is as much of like a part of well-being and excitement and energy in terms of what you're doing, why you're waking up every day doing what you're doing. And that's been something really fun for us and making sure that everyone's cup on our team is full in order for them to be able to give what we need them to give in terms of the the bigger company. You know, we always tell our employees that your health comes first. And if and go go out, do what you need to do for your health because you know, and and then we as founders and as leaders have tried to emulate that. So what when we empower our team to do that and then also show as leaders or founders of the company that we also shut off at times and when we when we are sleep deprived we'll sign off a little bit early to make sure that we refill our cups and get the sleep we need um i think it goes a long way in terms of that culture being built uh, from day one early on in the company and some of the more individual things i do right now in order to continue feeling well is i try to just get out and get some sun and walk mm. i try so to- simple so simple, right? I, I, what I've been riffing a lot internally within my own brain is the simple things are the big things. So yes. sleep, water, a little bit of movement, a little bit of just making sure that we're, you know how to breathe. Yeah, I have one too. Um, those things I think are so important and I just try to come back to the fundamentals anytime I feel like I'm burning, burning out. Absolutely. But Sometimes I, 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 um, with water, I mean, I just took a sip of water as you were saying that, like one thing I realized is oftentimes like bad habits that come up for me, whether it be kind of snacking or, um, reaching for my phone and going on social media. Uh, one thing I realized is like, it's just actually the desire itself. It's not the object of the desire. It's just, there's a desire that comes up and it might come up because I'm bored or because I'm stressed or tired or whatever. And when we're in those mental states, we're more susceptible to kind of break down to other habits. But what I find is if I just like channel that and take a drink of water or like channel that and, and do 10 push ups, that just like on the spot, it like shifts everything. Cause it's not that I'm desiring the object, which is harmful. I'm just desiring, you know, water is healthy. Oftentimes I think thirst masks itself as hunger is a random thought, but totally the simple things are the big things. And oftentimes the simple things are the hardest things. Yeah. Think about how much time do you really need to do these things, right? Like I, I recently have been getting back into some breath work and mm. I think about, I don't really need that much time. Like even if I was able to just First thing when I wake up in the morning, instead of going for coffee, literally just doing my breath practice in the morning, like right there when I'm in bed and I have the time. But yeah, it's, it's hard to make that, to build that positive reinforcement. Yeah. It's a life's work, I think. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, giving that to companies to offer to their employees is so, so cool. So that's why I wanted to invite you on uh, the show today and to, you know, have a chat about all of this. And obviously like your, your outlook on life and your positivity is inspiring. And um, I'm sure that will come through in this show. We're, we're running towards kind of the end of the episode. And I wanted to, 
you know, give you the opportunity to, you know, drive towards a topic that maybe you want to cover that we haven't spoken about or to share something uh, with the audience that, you know, that's on, that's on your heart. I think because I have this beautiful and natural soundscape behind me, I'm just going to let nature do the talking. This is the sound of silence. Yeah, get man, out, getting get outside. Get outside. Even if you're if you're working from home, you probably have more of an opportunity uh, to get outside more than ever before. Um, all the while, you know, do what you need to do, wear a mask, be safe, but go hug a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I love, I love hugging trees. I think tree hugging practice is something that everybody should incorporate. There's gotta be something, there's gotta be something truly powerful in your being when you hug a tree. Like I'd love to see studies of if it actually releases oxytocin the same way that hugging a human does. Have you, have you read the book, the, the hidden life of trees? No, tell me about it. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, I think it was written by someone who's in the woodworking industry in Germany. And, you know, he was working around trees for all his life and really was taking trees for granted. And then some research, researchers and scientists started to come to his, um, I don't know, woodworking uh, lumber yard. Um, and they started to do a bunch of these research studies that completely transformed his ideas of trees and their aliveness. Um, so there's some parts of the book, and I think there's some radio lab episodes. If someone doesn't want to read the book and just wants to go do a quick search, that talks it's, about uh, Peter Peter Bowman is the name of yeah. the author. I just looked him up. Yeah, Peter Bowman, and something to the extent of like, even like there's these trees in Africa or some part of the world. Um, and when giraffes start eating them, they spray this sort of uh, juice or poison that basically alerts all the other trees to go off and protect themselves. And this idea of like trees talking to one another and the roots being connected underground and sending each other like energy or pulse and electric electrical pulses. I think that stuff is really fascinating to me in terms of like nature being more alive than, than we think of it to maybe be. Absolutely. And I think there's like a huge element of wellness as being in nature. Like I think if there's any benefit to the remote work, it's the possibility that people start to vacate cities and, you know, there's a power and a beauty to cities and there's a cultural exchange and it's cosmopolitan. You can get a lot of good food. You experience a lot of different people, but also just like the profundity of nature, the, you know, just going and taking a walk in, in the trees like that, how quickly that can change your mindset and your health shows me that like just being in nature is in and of itself a preventative wellness practice. I think the Japanese have, they call it forest bathing. Mm. but it's um it's really powerful man but brother thank you so much for your time i'm gonna i'm gonna hop off now so that's
All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to M-A-R-C at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.